there's a lot of programming in our minds, a lot going on up there that we aren't even aware of. And sometimes those messages are helping us. And sometimes those messages are not doing what we really want. And that's where thought work comes in. You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode 49. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today, I'm having a conversation with my good friend, Ray DePola, on thought work, what it is, why it's amazing, and what else do we need to help move ourselves forward. Okay, Ray, so let's talk about this. What's good about thought work? What's great about thought work is we are always thinking. I mean, our minds are thought machines. That's exactly what they were made for. So they're constantly cranking out thoughts, bombarding us with thoughts, overwhelming us with thoughts, which I'm sure you can guess is why sometimes it's not so good to be all caught up in our stories, in our thoughts. Yeah. And as, as a writer, I have a lot of thoughts. One of the hardest parts of my job as a writer is discerning which of the thoughts are useful. Some of them are really profound and some of them are just clutter. I agree with you. So what do you see the problems being? Well, I think a lot of us are living our lives feeling like we're spun up in a story that we wish we could rewrite. And what I've been discovering, what I've been investigating is like, what what have I missed out on? And where is that limitation in thought work? Mm. And, you know, this is timely. So we're recording this December 2020, ending of a year that was replete with stories and thoughts, right? So even more now, I would say, what stories are we telling and what is helpful, what isn't, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, across the gambit from, you know, do I choose to wear a mask? Do I not choose to wear a mask? What do they mean when they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? You know, this store is open, that store is not open. My government official says this, who's right, who's wrong? So actually, this is one of the things that's good about thought. Let's get really clear on what thought work is. If you were talking about Byron Katie, the first thing you would say is, is it true? Is it true that you have to wear a mask or whatever the thought is that's causing you distress? Is it true? And I think that that's a useful construct, right? I mean, there's a leading question. (laughs) It is useful to question. Is this thing that I'm hanging my hat on, is it true? It's a yes or a no. That's it, right? If the answer is yes, yes, it's true. Then the second question is, really? Can you be sure 100% that it's true? Yes or no? And again, it's just a question. It doesn't mean anything. It's just gauging where you're at, right? But then we dig around in it a lot. And this is the part of thought work that I think gets skipped because the Mm -hmm. third step is the physicality of it. So do you want to talk to that a little bit? Sure, because if we're doing thought work thoroughly, yeah, that physicality needs to be incorporated because that is the mind-body connection. So when we're testing a thought, so Mm -hmm. we're testing, like, how does this feel? 
And even that kind of language of like, oh, how am I feeling today? We get confused between thoughts, emotions, and physical feeling. I say, I feel like you aren't being nice to me or whatever. That's actually a thought. That's not a feeling. Exactly. The feeling would be sadness or or that actually that would be the emotion. That would be an emotion. Right? What we say, like, I feel that you are making me sad. That's actually a thought. I think you are making me sad. I feel sad. No, that's an emotion, mm -hmm. a, emotional expression. If the sadness makes your heart or your chest hurt, then that's a physical sensation. Right. And we conflate all of that and it gets all mixed up together. Right. I mean, they are connected. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to know the connection and, and explore the connections. But sometimes we stop at the thought, you know, because then it's like, oh, if I just if I convince myself that you're not making me sad, I won't be sad. Which is how we get people who freeze themselves into their stuff and it comes out in physical sensation. Like, for example, when I have forced myself to stay in places where I should no longer be, if I do that long enough, my frozen shoulder tells me, no, really, you need to go. Because my mind is going, yeah, 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 I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. But my body's like, no, we're done. At the extreme version of ignoring what your body is telling you, your body will get extreme because it has to be that loud to get your attention. The truth is, so this is something you taught me, Ray. I told you about an experience. I told you about the emotions I was having and the, the physical sensations that it caused. And you were the one who said, yeah, what are you making that mean? Which is, you know, going back to, it's another way of looking at the thought work, right? Because the exact same thing could happen to you and me and one of us may be like, hey, that is the best thing that ever happened. That was so funny. And the other could just, because of our personal experience, could be devastated by it because of the interpretation of what we are making it mean. I will add, though, that I think it's critical to wonder about that because I believe there is not a right way and a wrong way. There are just different ways. And in that scenario you just gave, you're not necessarily wrong and I'm right. Or or even, and we get confused about this, like if it's causing you pain and me not, well, you must be wrong if, if you're hurting from it. It's like... No, then it's my problem and not yours would be a cleaner way of dealing with that. Yeah. Or it's just, okay, the person you've evolved and become in this scenario, in this moment, with this exact situation, mm -hmm. it's creating pain for you. It doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make the situation wrong. And the question simply is, what will you do next? One of the problems, I think, with one of my problems, let me own that, with the talking about is that I'm really good with my head. I mean, like, you know, you and I have talked about this. You're actually similar, I think, that, you know, we learned how to think well. We are well-trained in thinking. And so if you ask me to come up with a reason why I think a certain thing is happening, 
I probably could come up with one. It might not even feel true, but I might feel like, you know, I was raised to be a good student and I want to come up with a satisfying answer. And I might come up with an answer for you that isn't entirely true or it's it's surface level true, but it, it's kind of skimming the deep and it's missing some stuff. And especially for those people who have experienced different kinds of trauma, which I'm willing to bet at the end of this year, more of the population has experienced trauma of some kind than at any time since, you know, maybe the great wars or, you, you know what I mean? Like, like this is a time of intense trauma. And so we aren't necessarily consciously even aware of what kind of trauma we're experiencing. And so it's very easy to come up with reasons without really even knowing what's Mm, I don't even want to say wrong, but what's uncomfortable for us or what's bothering us or what's what's hurting us. Yeah. So we've been taught two things. One thing is like, if you're feeling uncomfortable or you're feeling pain, get away from that right away. Yeah, it's so, a problem. So run, it's a problem. So, mm -hmm. you know, escape is mm -hmm. one lesson we've learned. And the second lesson is if you turn around your thinking or if you think a better thought, the pain will go away. Alongside that, those two scenarios is so if the pain continues it's your fault and you're you're bad you're wrong you know you should be ashamed you know which, which is so helpful when you were already so struggling right <laughs> you know but we all do it so many of us we do that and it and it's just that spiral that tightens and tightens um which again going back i, I think that's why so many of us do struggle with this and like you said, I mean, that's a part of why this year will add up to being so hard on so many people, because we haven't learned the language of our bodies. We haven't learned the language and the methodologies of real healing. So real wellness, which incorporates so much more than just our our heads and thinking about it. You know, we go to a doctor and they check out our body, you know, if we're lucky and they heal broken bones and, and they treat infections. But that mind-body connection, the physical and mental and spiritual and emotional and energetic toll that these last four years have taken on so many of us. And I'm always thinking about that. My brain says, oh, you know, it's just another day. And well, I could just push that all to the side and just go about my normal life. La da da da. And I should feel good. Mm -hmm. How many of us four years into this are feeling really tired, really worn down, really heavy, like we've been carrying a weight on our backs for four long years. Well, we've been gaslit. And what we're seeing now, when you try to cut off a gas lighter, they amp it up. These are like the death throes of that relationship, but it's not easier when people leave a gaslighting situation. That's actually one of the hardest and most toxic times because people fight tooth and nail to, to hang on to that control that they've asserted through their manipulation, right? And that's energetic manipulation. It's but it's it's basically power over other people. 
Yeah, power over, and there's been this subversion, this this breaking down of a person's agency and self confidence. So once a person's like their self belief, their self trust, once that's been eroded, you know, so you move away from a gaslighter, but you don't trust yourself anymore. I've seen this in relationships too, where, and and I don't think it was a a gaslighting situation, but it was simply, you know, I I worked with a guy, one of the first clients I worked with, um, and a sweet guy, and he was in a marriage and he had always told himself, it's a vow in -hmm. front of God. And I will never break that vow. And the marriage just didn't work out. And one of the struggles he had, I was helping him, you know, navigate and rediscover who am I and how do I trust myself again? That's the hardest thing. And that's where we need to employ all our tools and checking in with our body, with what our body tells us about, like you said, what feels good, what feels more right, Mm -hmm. less right. There can be different kinds of feel good. You can be really, really mean to somebody, and there's a there's a what a rush, a, a energetic boost that you can get. Some people can think that actually feels good, but it's a very different place in your body than that genuine sense of well being and and calm and even knowing what feels good. And what feels good about it? Is it is it a rush? Is it an adrenaline high? Is it something that requires you to control other people? Like, for example, your client, his staying in that marriage required that his wife also stay in that marriage. So that's that's a free will. And if she leaves, he can't make her stay, right? That's a problem because you have a belief that insist somebody else has to do something in order for you to be okay. Right. You've exactly you've handed over you've handed over your power, but also your responsibility. So in some ways, you know, you're trying to hold your hands up and say, it's not on me. And it's like, how's that working for you? And I think one of the hard things is when you're in that place, paradoxically, you need to be able to find people that you can trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you don't have to. I guess you could work through it alone, but it's a lot harder. So if your self-trust and self-confidence has been eradicated, but you're telling yourself, I ought to be able to figure this out myself. Right, exactly. These Mm -hmm. are the people who remain stuck and they don't deserve to and they don't have to. But it's completely understandable that, well, they go to take that first step, you know, before their their feet hit the floor tomorrow morning, what are they going to do? They don't know. And of course they don't know. So yes, start with, you know, friends that you trust still, people that you know will tell you the truth. So here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're in it, you don't know who you can trust. Here's an example. When I quit my teaching career, I left everybody behind and I trusted nobody. I'm now four years out of having left that career, right? I left in 2016, right? But the people who right now are coming out of this situation where they have believed in something, the 
the biggest thing is you don't know how to get help and you don't necessarily trust the help. And you start to tell yourself these stories like, well, but I'll just get a little bit far enough so that I have some sort of like just a little. So like you actually will keep yourself from getting the help that you need because you're putting these demands on yourself that you have to be okay. And before you can get the help to become okay, it becomes this really nasty feedback loop. That's just, um, really, really hard. And it, and, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that we talk about the most is just be gentle with yourself. Could you just be gentle with yourself? Could you just, what would it be like to just be kind in this moment? Let's just start there. Teeny weeny, tiny little step. So that's where coming back to where we started mm-hmm. with thought work and that notion, you know, if you're holding on to a thought and it's creating pain for you, the challenge is sort of flip that thought, flip it around in some way and ask yourself, is there just as much likelihood that this could be true as well? And our mentor, Martha, Martha Beck would talk about, it's like wiggling a tooth because it's not going to happen in huge strides. You know, people don't go from having no self-esteem, being full of doubt to just waking up one morning and being full of confidence. Just like any decent, worthwhile relationship, we need to build right relationship again with ourselves. I'm going to challenge something here. When you are in a space of, let's say, self-delusion, magical thinking, you're convincing yourself of things that maybe your body doesn't know to be true, but you're convincing yourself of that, you can be so certain. There's a certainty. And so part of the challenge of this is to let go. You have to actually let go of certainty. And when you let yourself do that and you let these things come up and you start to notice them, the things that you've been holding back, sometimes they can be really overwhelming because one thing comes up and it brings up another thing and it brings up these things. You can actually feel worse before you feel better. So this is clean pain versus dirty pain, right? When you have that pain and you let yourself acknowledge it, feel it, be in it, it actually is better than being certain and strong and refusing all the help because you're getting present with it. You're not freezing it out. So, for example, coming out of this time with Donald Trump, I think for some of us, hearing that Joe Biden had won. Now I understand since then it's been several weeks of spin, but those of us who wanted Biden to win and heard that he won, it wasn't an immediate yay, because there's still stuff, as you said, that we've been living with for four years. Now that we're here, it might feel worse because we're actually allowing ourselves to feel it. That doesn't mean that we are getting worse. It means, like you said, it's that loosening up of the thing. And it might hurt on the way out, but it doesn't mean that you are doing worse. It might mean, I mean, like if you go to surgery, you actually feel worse on the third day after surgery, not better. Like the third day after surgery, you might feel like hell and you might feel like, oh my gosh, that surgery didn't work. But actually that's actually a sign that healing is is happening. It's very counterintuitive. I think that even in a conversation, so my mind kind of goes to um, one of the 
the basic tenets of of Zen and Buddhism is that you can't talk about Zen because anything you try to say about Zen misses its mark. And I think in some ways, you know, you can spend forever talking about thought and thinking about talking about thought and thinking about thinking and and even thinking about not thinking, but you're still thinking about it. Um, and I said this to you before, and I just want to say it to your listeners that, you know, we, the structure that we grow up in and are raised in and live in every day is, is so centered on thinking, mm-hmm. you know, how you do in school, how you do in your job, as far as performance, you know, um, you know, where you, where you graduated school from, you know, and how much effect that has on the rest of your life, you know, how quickly you can do the crossword puzzle, how good are you at Jeopardy? You know, all of those things mean a lot to a lot of people. You know, how quick-witted are you means so much. And because we we prioritize that and put a premium on it, what gets lost is building a rapport and a familiarity with our bodies, but also that mind-body connection. So taking a step back, you know, you talked about, we get a lot of facts. I mean, and sort of blowing our minds has been like, oh, we're discounting science, like all these conspiracies and, you know, COVID's not real, masks don't matter, all this stuff. And our minds are sort of like, those are facts. I advocate listening to facts. You know, the science matters, it adds up. So using the feeling state for things that affect one's path in life, making those decisions, should I get a vaccine shot or not get a vaccine shot? And, oh, well, let me do the work on it. You know, let me, let me ask Byron Katie whether I should get a shot. And likewise, things like, oh, you know, my husband mentally abused me. Well, let me do some thought work on that and see if that's really true. Well, if I ask the opposite thought, you know, maybe I should convince myself that he didn't really do that. You know, that's where I get a little you can do a lot of damage to people that way. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. And that's where I think going back to just fundamentally, like we need to develop the language and familiarity with our bodies so that at any moment, so you know, a lot of us, I assume you practice this, but like when you're nervous, one body mechanic thing that we can do is take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Because that expansion creates room. And it tells your brain that you're okay. It actually physically tells your brain that you're safe. Physically, it creates room in your body, but it tells your brain that you're okay because that's the way we're wired. Likewise, Mm -hmm. when we're in a situation, I was in a car accident. And, you know, for some folks, when something like that, where it's traumatic and there's pain involved and there, you know, it's a sudden thing there's this escalation of the situation and our body tenses up, like our body fires off, it's ready. If we don't resolve that, if there's not a de-escalation and a release of that energy and of that tightening, Mm -hmm. it gets trapped in us. Mm -hmm. 
And likewise, I suggest that things like these four years of constant concern, constant feelings of anger all around us. I mean, I know for me, you know, it's the kind of thing where you were saying earlier, going and getting massages, because in our bodies, we're carrying this, I think, for a lot of us, low level tension nonetheless, and we need to release it. Here's the thing, and I I was actually writing about this today. So it's a fresh thought. So if it sounds like I'm formulating, I am. But one of the things I was, I've, I've long thought as a language person is that words are a construct. Words are a translation of our felt experience, our lived experience, our emotional experience. And my language is never going to be the same as any other person's language. It's almost like a snowflake. So the language I speak not just my spoken language, my vocabulary, my grammar, everything that goes together with that, but my physical language is unique to me. It might be similar to yours because you're also, you're white, you're, you were brought up Christian, you're American, right? But, but it's also going to be different. We've had different experiences. You come from Italian culture. My family's Swedes. Swedes tend to be a little more, at least American Swedes. I don't know about the Swedes in Sweden, but we Scandinavians in America tend to be a little frigid. Just saying, right? Whereas Italians are known for being more garrulous, right? So all those things come together. Partly what you're talking about is that language makes up one part of who we are. We have this language that we rely on so strongly in our head, and we discount the fact that our bodies are speaking to us all the time. Again, there's no right or wrong. So there are times when we sit and try to think through the problem when, you know, going for a walk or just doing some jumping jacks or, you know, you walk away. something physical would would release it quicker, but we're so used to thinking, oh, that's not the way to handle it. And conversely, I know folks who, you know, work out religiously, but they aren't looking at their problems and they keep facing the same struggles. And so, you know, so often like a key to watch for is, do I keep butting my head up against the same things? And if, if you are, then it's worth considering changing your strategies. Mm -hmm. How's that working out for you? Yeah. How's that working for you? You found yourself here again? Maybe you want to start on a different road. Thanks for listening to Courageous Wordsmith. Today's episode featured Ray DePola. You can read about him and find links in the show notes. And my editor is the talented Will Quee. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe right on this page and share with your friends. And if by chance there's a book calling you, sign up to receive my free ebook, Shiny Objects 101, 11 Key Tools to Access Muses, Face Inner Trolls, and Find Powerful Stories so that you can write and publish books your audience and you will love. It's in the show notes. You can learn more about me and my work with creative writers at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.